Hi friends, Keisha here. I'm back with another episode of Milk to Meat. Today, I wanted to dive into the book of Jude. And I know it's kind of off the path of my previous study. But, um, I got off into a Jude study and... So I felt like, um, it would be a good time to go through that study in the book of Jude. It's a very short book because the book of Jude is only one chapter. Um, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me. We're going to turn to the book of Jude. It's the the one chapter book before Revelations. And this is a epistle of the Apostle Jude. He was a brother of James. And I'm reading specifically from the KJ3, the literal translation of the New Testament. It's very close to the Greek. Um, I, I appreciate this version of the Bible a lot because it keeps me from having to look up the Greek so much because it it translates it so closely to the Greek text that um, I don't have to look up as much. But Let's start with verse 1. It says, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to the ones called, the ones here is italicized, and it is directing, its purpose is directing its audience to believers. So the ones here are the believers, the um, followers of Christ, the born-again collective church, to the ones called in God, the Father, having been sanctified and having been kept to Jesus Christ, mercy and peace and love to multiply, or love be multiplied to you. Beloved ones, again, he's referencing believers, followers of Christ, the born again. Beloved ones, making all diligence to write to you about the common salvation. I had need to write to you to exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith once given over to the saints. I'm going to pause right here. Because I did want to look up the word contend and see if it meant the same as if or as our vocabulary means. And when you look up the word contend related to the English vocabulary in the Webster's Dictionary, you will see the um, definition of contend being to argue, compete, or debate. But 
the Greek word or the Greek definition of the word contend means with skill and commitment in opposing whatever is not of faith. So he's telling you, or he's exhorting you, you, the believer, the follower of Christ, the the born again, he's exhorting you to contend earnestly, to, with skill and commitment, oppose whatever is not of the faith, earnestly, for the faith once given over to the saints. For certain men, and this is where it starts describing the book of Enoch and the things that happen in the book of Enoch, as can also be found in Genesis chapter 6. But verse 4 reads, For certain men slipped in stealthily. The ones, so here, is italicized ones, but it's talking about a different group of people. It's a different audience. The ones, having been of old, written before, to this judgment, ungodly ones, perverting the grace of our God into unbridled lust, and denying the only master, God, even our Lord Jesus Christ. So, in Genesis 6, in Enoch, um, in several of the texts, um, Jubilees and the Septuagint, the angels that left their first estate and fell on to the top of Mount Hermon and took wives of men for themselves to create the offspring of Nephilim that is what it's talking about they're they're referred to as um the men of old or um the ungodly ones or um you know the the sons of God when they left their first estate so they have several different descriptions for them, but this passage is specifically talking about those angels that have fell from their first estate and came to earth and took wives for themselves and created offspring that was not a part of God's original plan. But I propose, verse 5, moving on. Well, hold on, let me back up. So, I wanted to read this because in the Greek I thought it was it was very interesting written. And it says the ones having been old written before this judgment, ungodly ones, perverting the grace into license for immortality. So Instead, like, this text reads unbridled lust, but in the other text, in the Greek text, it reads as a license for immortality, and I thought that was interesting because 
lately in the science world they have been talking about the discovery of immortality and um, the, the topic of immortality has become more um, publicly discussed in the science world these days and I just thought that was a interesting take on that verse because you know the angels that fell from the first estate that is that is some of the things that was taught some of the doctrines that they were they that they taught men and that they spoke of to men is about immortality and if man did this and they could be immortal beings and you know that that was a part of the lust that was um danced in front of men from these angels that fell but okay moving on to verse five but i propose to remind you you once knowing these things that the lord having saved a people out of the land of egypt in the second place destroyed the ones not believing so he's saying he's reminding you of egypt and when moses freed the slaves and saved Israel and Christ or not well technically Christ was was um, being described in this story but God destroyed the ones that did not believe and there was if you remember correctly in the the story when Moses freed the slaves and led them out of Egypt they're in their journey in the wilderness they um, they built the calf and they were having big parties and orgies and they were living as as they did when they were in slavery and they brought those customs and traditions with them from Egypt and they were still practicing those while they were in the wilderness and they were not expressing belief and in God's anger he ended up he killed an entire generation because of their disobedience and the ones of the angels so again it's going back to the angels that fell and it's talking about the, the offspring, the ones of the angels. So it's the offspring. And the ones of the angels, not having kept their first place, but having left behind their dwelling place, he has kept in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So this is talking about the judgment of God, that when God is going to throw these angels and Satan and all his followers into the lake of fire. That is the great judgment day. 
as Sodom and Gomorrah, this is verse 7, as Sodom and Gomorrah and those cities around them in like manner to these committing fornication and having gone after other flesh are set forth an example undergoing vengeance of everlasting fire. So I want to pause here with verse 7 because I looked up other flesh and I know when it when scripture's talking about other flesh is uh, there's typically is the Greek word is alos or um, heteros and alos meaning um, other as in something or I guess the best way to describe it is like apples and oranges so alos would be like apples and oranges they're still they're fruit but they're two separate families of fruit but heteros is like oranges and tangerines they are of the same kind but they're st- you know, they have a similar they're similar but they're different so in verse 7 when it's saying other flesh it's talking about heteros and then flesh of course in the Greek is sarks so heteros is another but different quality similar to oranges and tangerines sarks has three different meanings to it and you have to decide which meaning is being applied based on the context of the verse but those meanings the first one is carnal human origin flesh used positively in relation to sexual intercourse the body the physical so it's talking about physical and that's the things that happens um during intercourse um and then negatively if the third definition it's a negative has a negative connotation referring to making decisions apart from faith decisions or actions that originate from yourself or or empowered by yourself and there's a lot of that going on in these days especially in the modern church and um in this whole me movement that's going around because you know everywhere you turn and you have life coaches you have all these people that um, preach empowerment of self and to empower yourself and to um you know, I mean, it's just empowerment, empowerment, empowerment in every corner you turn. And it's it's even entered into the church. And the church is, you know, preaching and teaching according to these laws of attraction. And they've gone away from scripture and manipulated scripture and the, and the um, teachings of Christ to fit their law of attraction um, perspective, I guess. And it 
is influenced a lot of by this self-empowerment. And according to scripture, self-empowerment is not a good thing. It's, it's a negative um, it's a negative thing in the eyes of God. It's, it's not good. So here it would be, you know, other flesh. So it's going to be something, it's going to be the same, but it's not, but it's going to be just a little bit different. Um, and then, but it's talking in this context. Is talking, um, um, is talking about the third definition, the negatively referring to, um, the, you know, actions that originate from self. That's what it's referring to in this specific text here in this context um so going after other flesh are set forth an example undergoing vengeance of everlasting fire number eight or verse eight likewise indeed also these dreaming ones even defile flesh and reject lordship and blaspheme glories and the dreaming ones, I looked that up because I thought that was an interesting description. The dreaming ones, the, the Greek definition uh, defines it as daydreamer or believer, meditates. And more specifically, desiring to be beguiled. <laughs> or deceived with sensual images and carried away to an impious course of conduct expecting such personal aspirations to be granted by him by God so it's basically this definition is describing um, things that we would see today in the form of manifestations and the form of like meditating on things that you want and creating vision boards and um treating God as if he's like a genie that you can just rub his lamp and ask him for anything that you want and that's not how we treat God that's not how God works and yes father will give us things that we ask for but it's he's not he's not gonna give us these materialistic things that's that's just going to perish I mean that's not father he he'll give it to us to an extent but it's only those that you see um, that God can trust with blessing them with that thing. Because 
those who are truly blessed by God with money use that money to help others. When you have, you know, people of faith or who claim to be of faith that are very rich and they're not blessed by God. That's not God giving them that money. Now, God may be allowing what's going on to take place because it has a purpose, but it's not God blessing them. Their action is, you know, the devil can bless you too. So you have to be really careful. But this, you know, and you see a lot of this manifest manifesting going on in the church nowadays too. And so this empowerment, this self, um, and I, I find this really interesting because a lot of this is just directly pointed to this particular generation that's going on right now or that we're living in right now. I mean, this generation is very um, focused on enlightenment. It's very focused on, you know, opening chakras and opening the third eye. And they're very focused on astrology and spiritual things but they deny the spirit (laughs) and they you know this generation is so focused on you know manifesting things that they desire and all this materialistic things so that's why I wanted to you know really detail that explanation of what dreaming one is because it's it ties so close into the generation that we're living right now and it's this text is directly pointing to that generation or this generation that is that is here now because I mean these words being used just directly describes this generation and is so amazing how God's word is alive and you can find yourself present day in this text and so I just urge you to understand that the day that we're living in Christ is coming soon so We need to be ready and we need to be asking forgiveness and we need to be repenting and we need to be turning from our sinful ways. And this is Jude's warning and he's telling, he's not talking to people who don't believe. I mean, and that's another thing too in this generation. There's so many Christians who think they are safe. And there's so many Christians who just live their life as if nothing can touch them and they're daily being deceived and they're deceiving themselves because they foolishly think that they would never be the ones that gets beguiled that loses their salvation that turns away from God they never they they never think that that will happen to them and there's so many times in the text i mean from the entire new testament there's like thousands of warnings 
to Christians, to born-again people who believe, who know Christ, who's tasted of the power of God, and is warning those people that they are capable of turning away. And it is warning against that. And it is constantly telling and constantly encouraging the believer and the born again to hold on to their faith, to hold on to their salvation, to fight for their salvation. Like it's all through the New Testament. So if a born again, devout Christian can can one day return to their life before Christ like they can return to that sinful life and follow Satan they would not if they could not do that if that was not a possibility these texts would not be warning of it these texts would not constantly be encouraging believers and born again and followers of Christ to to hold on to the faith and hold on to the salvation they would not be doing that but the fact that they are doing that the fact they are warning of that the fact they are constantly you know encouraging and warning and and telling you know disciple after disciple and they're warning each other and the, the text is talking to all believers says beloved ones those are believers those are you know born again those are as said who've been sanctified by god contend earnestly with skill and commitment and opposing whatever is not of faith and then it says to hold on tightly if it was not possible there would not be these warnings so I urge you guys I urge you heed to these warnings because many who say that they will be at Jesus side on that day And many that say, Lord, Lord, Christ is going to look at them and say, I know you not. And I myself, every believer, every teacher, we all have to constantly evaluate ourselves. We constantly have to study to show ourselves approved. We constantly have to deny our flesh. We constantly have to line ourselves up with God in Christ every single day. That is our responsibility. And so, like I said, if it was not possible, there would not be these warnings. So heed to these warnings. Verse 9, But Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, and the contending here is going to be arguing and, and, and uh, debating, He's contending with the devil. He's arguing with the devil. And he's arguing specifically about the body of Moses. But he dared not 
bring a judgment of blasphemy. Instead, he said, let the Lord rebuke you. So even Michael the archangel knew his place. He, he respectfully argued. But then he backed off and he said, let the Lord rebuke you. And you can find in Zechariah 3 2. But uh, moving on to verse 10. But as many things as they do not know, they speak evil of these. And what things they understand naturally, like the animals without reason, they are com- corrupted by these. So the natural things that they understand are corrupting them. And the things that they do not know and don't understand, they speak evil of. And I can't tell you how much I see of this. I can't tell I mean, and I'm not, I'm not talking about with unbelievers. I'm not talking about with, with um, Satanists or, or atheists or, uh, you know, I- any other faith. I'm talking about in the church, believers. The things that they do not know, you know, you see this a lot in different churches, and that's why we have so many different denominations. I, that you have a church split up because they argue about the Holy Spirit, or they argue about the gift of tongues, or they argue about, you know, how baptisms are supposed to happen. And you have a split, and you have all these different churches formed because they can't, they can't understand the text for one and then and they constantly argue and bicker and fight about it but it says as many things as they do not know they speak evil of these and and that is what's happened that's what happens in local churches i was at a church before that they um they never witnessed the power of the holy spirit Excuse me, and and I mentioned, or I'd asked the question of why, you know, churches and modern day churches now, um, why they are not healing, and why are so many churches full of sick people? Because those who believe, those who follow Christ, those who are born again Luke 9 and 1 says you have power over demons and all sickness but the churches today there's a church on every corner and they are full of people who are sick and people who are dying and I never, I, I asked that question of the of a church that I went to, and I asked the question, I was like, why are these, why are there not a five-fold ministry operating? Why is there not, um, you know, church like Acts, the scribes? Why is there not an Acts church? And the pastor literally looked at me and told me, he said that those things were for that time. It was not for this time. And that that power 
no didn't exist to us it only existed with the disciples and I really could not swallow that and I, I could not understand that and I did not accept that because he was placing God in a box he was placing the Holy Spirit in a box and he was saying that the power of the Holy Spirit is not something that we have today and the scripture specifically says that it is and so that's an example of things that they don't know they they call evil they say that speaking in tongues is being demonic or um, having a having the Holy Spirit when you accept the Holy Spirit and that quickening happens with the Holy Spirit quickens you and brings your spirit to life they're saying that that is a demonic possession so again it's things that they do not know they call evil and those things that they do understand naturally is what is are the very things that is corrupting us so moving on to verse 11 woe to them because they went to the way of Cain and gave themselves up to the era of Balaam for reward and perished in the rebellion of Korah so I looked up those two words and Balaam is most I mean the word Balaam is used to describe a false teacher and a soothsayer so when you see the word Balaam in the text or Balaam or um, Baal you're going to it's describing a false teacher or a soothsayer and the word Korah there it says and perish in the rebellion of the Korah the Korah is specifically it is, the definition of Korah is Hebrew people or an Israelite who with others rebelled against Moses so woe to them those who are corrupted by what they naturally understand woe to them because they are going the way of Cain and they've given themselves to the error of false teaching for reward and they and perished in the rebellion of Korah so they perished similar to Korah so he's, he's calling he's saying that you are, are like those who rebelled against Moses and God killed it was the generation that God that God killed he killed an entire generation so verse 12 
these are sunken rocks in your love feast. And love feast was interesting. I was like, what is he talking about? Love feast. So I looked up love feast as well. It was an interesting thing that I found. So love feast means feast of mutual love where the rich and the common people ate equally at the expense of the wealthy. It was a Christian tradition before Christ and before the Lord's Supper. So this was a feast. It was a large gathering of people who are rich and common, the poor, the rich, they all come together. And the rich purchased all the food and the wine and all the, everything that they had there at this feast. The rich purchased it all. And they welcomed in the ones that are not rich and the common people, the poor. They welcomed the, the, all those people in. It was a, a big, huge feast. And it was done in love. It was a mutual fellowship of love for one another. Regardless of your stature or how much money you had. Um, it would be nice if those things still happened, wouldn't it? But the rich these days don't, they don't dare step down from their their thrones um and moving on it says so I'm going to repeat verse 12 these are the sunken rocks in your love feast feasting together with you so he's saying that these people are even among you even in your love feast and they feast with you kind of like Judas was among the twelve and with Christ there in his last supper he betrays Christ they're feeding themselves without fear waterless clouds being carried about by winds fruitless autumn trees having died twice and having been plucked up by the roots it was describing the people that are corrupted this is this these um he's continuing to describe the people who are corrupted by their natural understanding and that they've went the way of Cain I mean it's continuing with this description of these people and they eat with they eat with people in their love you know in they're mixed among you. They have waterless clouds, and they're being carried around by the, about by the winds. They're um, in the Greek text. The sunken rocks is actually um, written as hidden reefs. And it's described as men who, by their conduct, damage others morally. Feasting together is to feast 
sumptuously extremely costly luxuries. So these are extremely costly and luxurious feasts that's going on. And these sunken rocks, these men who are corrupted by the things that they understand naturally, they are men who by their conduct, by their actions, by the way they carry themselves, their conduct, damage others morally. And they feast with you. They sit with you at the table. And it continues on with the description of them with wild waves of the sea foaming up by their shames. Wandering stars. And this is not talking about planets. When you see the word wandering stars in the, in the text, it does not describe planets. Wandering stars for whom blackness of darkness has been kept to this age. And so, I'm going to expound upon where it says carried about by the winds because um, in the Greek it, it describes it as to lead from the, from the right course away from the truth. So they, these, these men, these people, these sunken rocks, these hidden reefs, these people who are corrupted by what they naturally understand, they not only by their conduct damage you morally, they lead you away from the right course and away from the truth. And then 13, these wild, we, wild waves of the sea foaming up. Foaming up means to vomit. Vomiting up their shames. Wandering stars. This is not talking about planets. This is, this is again, it's another term for false teachers. This is not talking about planets. I know a lot of people in astrology and a lot of people want to want to pinpoint that wandering stars are are symbology for planets and it's not specifically in this text here wandering stars means is another word for false teachers there's stars that have left the course prescribed them by god and wander about at will and it goes on to um reference Enoch 18 and 15 and Enoch 18 and 15 is saying that this verse in Enoch 18 and 15 is a symbol that fits what a wandering star is when you look up Enoch 18 and 15 you're going to find that it's it's a verse talking about the punishment of the angels that fell from their first estate and it's talking about the punishment of those angels and that they were being bound and kept in hell for 70 generations so we can specifically say that these wandering stars is referencing here that these wandering stars is specifically referencing the stars that fell from their first estate the stars that 
the the angels that came to earth and took wives and made their own offspring called the Nephilim. And in Enoch and in Genesis, there's several accounts where it talks about the stars and is they're described as the sons of God. And there's several accounts where the, the stars are equally described as angels. And so I, don't, I want you to keep that in mind because what we see with our eyes is, like you said, like it says in verse 10, what we naturally understand corrupts us. And the things that we do not know we speak of as evil. So, the, but there's, there's several texts that, that indicates that stars are angels. And they dis, that stars are described as the sons of God. And the sons of God is described as angels. So there's a lot of correlation between stars and angels. And when it's describing wandering stars, it's describing those angels that fell from their first estate. They have left their course prescribed to them by God. And even we can fall into this this description because if we if we leave our our um, course that God prescribed for us for us, we too become. A wandering star will become false teachers. So, moving on to 14. And the seventh from Adam, Enoch. So, that's, they're talking about Enoch's great, or grandfather, great-grandfather. He's talking about, I mean, not Enoch's, uh, Noah's great-grandfather. Um, grandfather, great-grandfather. Um, he's saying that Noah, I mean, uh, Enoch, also prophesied to these men, saying, Behold, the Lord came with myriads of his saints. And it's referring to Deuteronomy 33.2. I'm not going to go back to Deuteronomy 33.2. You can, you can read that for yourself. So I'm almost out of time. But I want to... I want to finish reading this up as quickly as possible. I have a few more comments but I, I want to at least finish reading this chapter before I run out of time so finishing on with verse 15 to do judgment against all and to rebuke all the ungodly ones of them concerning all their ungodly works which they ungodly did and concerning all of the hard things ungodly sinners spoke against him so he's talking about the time when Enoch was on earth and, and the angels that fell and the people that followed them and all the people that actually ended up being killed in the flood. These are murmurers, complainers, walking according to their lust, and their mouth speaks over swollen words, exaggerate. Admiring faces for the sake of gain. But you, beloved ones, talking about believers, is 
going back to believers and the born again remember the words spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ because they told you that at the last time there will be mockers going after ungodliness according to their lust these are all the ones setting themselves apart animal like ones not having the spirit so there's another description of these Nephilim they were not created by God they do not have the triune um, parts that God gave us they don't have a spirit the animal like ones not having the spirit but you beloved ones Building yourselves up by your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And keep yourselves there. He's not talking about just keep yourself. That's actually a description saying hold on to earnestly. Like like grip it tightly. Snatch it up. Grip it tightly. Hold on to it. Keep yourselves in the love of God, eagerly awaiting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to everlasting life. Verse 22, and have mercy on some, making a distinction. He's telling us to judge. This or distinction here is diacrino. We have to we have to look at the evidence and make a decision. This is where discernment comes into play. Make a distinction, but save others with fear, snatching them out of the fire, hating even the garment having been stained from the flesh. Now to him being able to guard you without stumbling and to set you before his glory without blemish, without exaltation. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, might and authority, even now and to all ages. Amen. So I want to I talk briefly before I run out of time. But there's, there's instruction here that's given to believers in verse 23. And it's an interesting one because... This is one thing that I find myself doing a lot. Is I'm constantly talking to, and I honestly I didn't even know this verse. I didn't know it. I mean I've read it in my readings, but I didn't know it. This this specific verse has not stuck with me, but it's stuck with me now because I I see myself and I I see what it means. But I'm constantly talking to people about fear and not walking in fear and walk in faith and walk in your authority and walk in the spirit and how fear has has taken so control so much of the people in the United States and fear has taken control of so much of the church and there's so many Christians that walk in fear and I talk about this all the time I mean that's basically what my coaching is all about. It's basically what my business is all about. It's all, you know, I 
I used 2, 1, 7, 2 Timothy 2, um, 2 Timothy 1 and 7. For God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. And in this verse 23, talking to believers, save others with fear. Save others the fear, snatching them out of the fire. Hating even the garment having been stained from the flesh. I'm going to expound upon that a little bit later um, if I have time, but we, like that, that's an instruction to us, and that's one thing that I'm, I'm very passionate about, and I'm, I try to do most of because I myself was delivered from fear spirits, and I've witnessed fear spirits manifesting and I see my family and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ and I see the church and I see so much fear being in control of people and it is very sad and we as believers need to be saving each other from this fear we need to be snatching our brothers and sisters out of the fire and saving them that is why you know and I don't preach at other believers I don't harp at other believers and and say the things that I say because I'm trying to judge anyone I'm just trying to get through and make you understand that walking in fear you are denying your faith. Fear and faith do not coexist. If you are walking in fear, you have no faith. And without faith, you are not healed. Without faith, you are not saved. You have to have even just a muster seed of faith will do so many miracles and will save and I I can't even explain I'm losing my I'm losing my um, what I'm trying to say but I I talk so much about Christians and I I expound on this you know milk to meat stuff because Christians are stuck in the milk phase and they don't move on to meat and we don't we don't seek deeper understanding of the word so we need to be helping each other and saving each other from that spirit of fear and snatching each other up out of the fire And I pray that each and every one of you are snatched up out of the fire. You are saved from fear. And you start walking in your authority. And you start walking in the Spirit. And you start believing and trusting in God the way we were intended to do. I pray that for each and every one of you that's listening to my voice. And I will see you next time. God bless.